well known to faithful students of the Bible in congregations of the Church of Christ is the uniqueness of the first gospel sermon in the name of the resurrected Christ under the commands of the Great Commission the consummated, completed gospel preached on Pentecost of Acts 2. Jesus said, I will build my church. And that is exactly what he did on this momentous occasion. The gospel was preached in his resurrected name, the first gospel sermon with a backward look. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, the heart and core of the gospel, now a completed fact. And therefore, in the name of this great Christ, this first great gospel sermon, thus qualified, was preached, led by the Apostle Peter, and followed by the other great apostles. Can there be any wonder in our minds that if we want to learn how to preach, among other places, we need to go to Acts chapter 2. We can learn how to preach from the great prophets of old. Their preaching started closed and was filled with thus saith God. Void of humor, funny stories, personal experiences, quotes from non-inspired men or women, void of human philosophy, centered four square on God said. That was the kind of preaching that Peter did on Pentecost of Acts 2. As we have noted in this series of sermons on the purpose of preaching, over half of that sermon constituted verbatim quotations from the Old Testament. 25 verses comprised that sermon. And almost half of it Twelve verses constituted quotations from the inspired prophet David and quotations from the inspired prophet Joel. Peter was a book, chapter, and verse preaching. Away with the kind of preaching often filling pulpits of churches of Christ today. The kind of preaching being done does not follow the preaching that was done on Pentecost of Acts 2. It is far from it. No wonder people's faith is not challenged. No wonder so many members of the church cannot see the horrendous nature of sin. No wonder so many members of the church no longer study the Bible on a daily basis. They don't even read the Bible, much less study the Bible on a daily basis. They're not challenged from the pulpit to be Bible students because the preachers who occupy many of these pulpits are not Bible students. 
They go to the internet to get many of their sermons. They get sermons on Saturday night to preach on Sunday morning that someone else has gotten up and put on the technological airways in order to preach. We need to learn how to preach anew. And a study of Acts chapter 2 will help us toward that end. Among other great truths that we have noted and some more to follow, one of the purposes of preaching is to present Jesus Christ and the gospel as man's only hope. That was what was done on Pentecost of Acts 2. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Acts 2, 22 to 24. And then he quoted from David in order to prove that Jesus Christ had been raised from the dead. And prior to being interrupted, he said, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. When that sermon was concluded on Pentecost of Acts 2, two millenniums ago, at least 3,000 people present on that occasion knew without a doubt no question in their mind, no hesitation, no reservation that Jesus Christ and the gospel they had just heard that centered in Jesus crucified, buried, and raised was their only hope. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eye, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Genesis 3, 6. Speaking of Jesus, Peter said on Pentecost of Act 2, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken him by wicked hands, have crucified and slain. Acts 2, verse 23. God foreknew Genesis 3, 6. He had known it and foreknown it from eternity. If we could view eternity in regard to time, we could say that there was not a single second of a single minute of a single hour in all the past eons of eternity where Genesis 3, 6 was not in the mind of God. Peter said he was delivered according to God's foreknowledge. God foreknew and therefore God determined that he was going to send Jesus Christ who would be then his son in flesh in order to solve the problem that started on that horrendous day of Genesis 3, verse 6. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed by corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain manner of life received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a man without shame, without stain, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, 
but was manifest in these last times for you, 1 Peter 1, 18 to 20. Who hath saved us and redeemed us from our sins by his own blood. And this was manifested in the mind of God that came to be manifested in reality before the foundations of the earth. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 9. And consequently, the seed of woman announced in Genesis 3.15 and the seed of Abraham announced in Genesis 12.3 became a reality in the crucifixion of this Son of God on Pentecost of Acts 2 and was announced in this first gospel sermon in the name of that resurrected Christ in this great sermon. The gospel of Christ was preached to Abraham and Sarah in those well-noted words, in thy seed shall all families of the earth be blessed. Genesis 12, 3. That's exactly what Paul said was done. In Galatians 3 and verse 8, God preached the gospel to Abraham when he uttered those words. God preached the gospel to Isaac in Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 to 5. He came to Isaac and told him, because another famine had become Come upon the land. Do not go down into Egypt. You stay right here in this land. I'm going to make your seed as the stars of the heaven. I'm going to give your seed all of these countries. And in thy seed shall all families of the earth be blessed. That was a gospel sermon. That's the same gospel sermon that God preached to Abraham in Genesis 12. And that's the gospel sermon that God preached to Abraham's son Isaac when he made those same statements. You're going to become a great nation. I'm going to give that great nation this land. Your seed will be as numerous as the stars of the heaven. Can you count those stars? You won't be able to count your seed. And then through that seed will ultimately come my son who will solve the problem that was started in Genesis 3.6. God preached the gospel to Jacob in Genesis chapter 28 verses 12 to 14. On his way to Haran, Jacob made Stones into a pillar, lay down for a good night's rest, but his mind would be mightily dealt with as he dreamed of this ladder from earth to heaven. And angels ascending and descending upon it. And the Lord at the top of the ladder, looking down on Jacob and said, your seed is going to become like the dust of the earth. I'm going to give your seed this land. 
and in thy seed shall all families of the earth be blessed. That was another gospel sermon, the same gospel sermon that God preached to Abraham in Genesis 12, the same gospel sermon that God preached to Isaac in Genesis 25, and now another gospel sermon echoing the same sentiments. Exodus 1 to 12 is Israel in Egypt, God's judgment on Egypt because of their many sins, their manifold idols producing manifold sins. Ten momentous plagues of judgment falling upon that land. And at the conclusion of it, God said, and this blood that you're to paint on your doorpost is to be a sign. Blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see that blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Exodus 12 verse 13. That was a gospel sermon in picturesque form. Because many years later, Paul looked back on that unique scene of that blood on those doorposts wherein God was allowed to pass over those people without judgment. And the hand of death did not enter their home and take their firstborn. And Paul looked on that and said, for even Christ, our Passover was crucified for us. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. Leviticus relative to books is the gospel of the Old Testament. There are two essential ingredients in this book that set forth the arrangement whereby man can enter the presence of God for worship and fellowship. Sacrifice and priesthood. The first 10 chapters cover sacrifice and priesthood. We need sacrifice and priesthood because of sin. And in Leviticus 11 to 15, in various forms, God paints a horrific picture of the defiling nature of sin. Leviticus 1 to 15 could be described as God's grace providing for sin through sacrifice and priesthood. For by grace are you saved. There's another element to God's plan of salvation through faith. And Leviticus 17 to 27 is a picture of the exhibition and the expression of faith as those ancient people obeyed those laws God gave in order that they might benefit from sacrifice and priesthood, the first 10 chapters, and have their sins pictured in chapters 11 to 15 removed in view of the perfect priesthood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And it is not by accident that right in the middle of the book, all of these great truths come together as the high priest, Leviticus 8 to 10, with a perfect sacrifice, Leviticus 1 to 7, enters into the most holy place by faith, Leviticus 17 to 27, in order to place blood on the mercy seat 
that their sins might be dealt with. Leviticus 11 to 15. Pictured, portrayed, and witnessed in Leviticus chapter 16. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Hebrews 9, 12 to 14. Numbers 11 to 14 paints a picture of unbelief that characterized those ancient people. And Genesis 3, 6 was closed in unbelief. When an individual sets out by self-will to follow his own self-will instead of the will of God, that is a journey of unbelief. And Eve's journey of one sin, one action, was a brief journey of unbelief. But oh, what a tragic journey it was. For 40 years, Israel is going to wander around in the wilderness because of their unbelief. And in the midst of that, God paints a gospel sermon in picture form as a brazen serpent is placed, a serpent of brass on a pole. And those who had been bitten by serpents, when they looked upon it, they were healed. And centuries later, Jesus Christ looked back on that great gospel portrait and said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 14 and 15. The book of Deuteronomy is Moses' final sermon to those ancient people. And right in the middle of it, he preaches a gospel sermon. The Lord thy God will raise up a prophet like unto thee, even unto me, unto him shall ye hearken. Deuteronomy 18, 15. And in Acts chapter 3, in Peter's second recorded sermon, and verse 22, he quoted that verse. In verse 23, he applied it to Christ and he said, Whosoever will not obey this Christ shall be destroyed from among the people. And then in verse 24, he said, Yea, and all of the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after shall likewise foretold and prophesied and spoke and preached of these days. From eternity and announced for the first time in Genesis 3.15, the second time in Genesis 12.3, the third time in Genesis 25, the fourth time in Genesis 28. The point is made in powerful form that Jesus Christ and the gospel constitute man's only hope. And that was announced in this monumental sermon on Pentecost of Acts chapter 2. Joshua is Canaan conquered and Canaan divided. And at the close thereof, in Joshua 21, 41 to 43, twice Jesus, or God said, through this inspired spokesman, I have done everything I told you I would do. I told you I would make of you a great nation. I've done that. I told you I would give you the land of Canaan. 
and you now live in the land as a member of this great nation that I promised Abraham in the long ago. Joshua is a picture of God's faithfulness in continuing to preach the gospel in preparatory form as he puts this nation in the land wherein he had promised in order that he might continue to work through them to make what was in eternity announced in Genesis 3, 15 and 12, 3, Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and raised. The pivot of the gospel, man's only hope. The book of Judges is a tragic <coughs> photograph of a nation on a ship floundering around in the sea of sin with no rudders, no sails, and no oars. And that's what happens when men, when a family, when a congregation, when a nation sets out on its own to rule itself and ignores all the God says that will save each and every one from spiritual ruin and disaster. Those kings contributed mightily to the national ruin of united Israel and then divided Israel and Judah. Almost all of those kings, except for a handful, were wicked to the core of their being and led the nation down the road of spiritual ruin and national ruin. One half winding up in Assyrian captivity and the other half winding up in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And of those that returned, it was a very small remnant. But on Pentecost of Acts 2, Peter said, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you, the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Acts 2, 29 and 30. There's the real king. Not like unto those kings of Israel and Judah. Not like unto the most righteous among them. And when there was only a small handful. Because they too were tainted and stained by sin. This is Jesus Christ. Who ordained from eternity. Who had ascended into heaven. And even now reigns as God's spiritual king. Over his spiritual kingdom. The church that Jesus said, I will build, that was constructed on Pentecost of Acts chapter 2. Ezra and Nehemiah constitute a nation restored, a law restored, and walls restored. As this nation in remnant form is now back in Jerusalem, in order that my God might continue to work 
in order to make Christ and Calvary and Pentecost of Acts 2 a reality in the world. Again, Peter said in that second sermon that from Samuel and onward, all the prophets that spoke foretold of those days. And all of those great prophets look forward with these great gospel portraits of the coming of the Christ. The book of Esther is a photograph of the victory of Genesis 3.15 and 12.3 over Genesis 3.6. And those prophets look forward to that reality in Jesus Christ crucified. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by their determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. That's the heart, the core, the center, the pivot of the gospel of Christ. Foreordained from all of eternity. Announced in a clothed form in Genesis 3.15. Announced in plain language in Genesis 12, 3. In thy seed shall all families of the earth be blessed. And then pictured and painted all the way through the Old Testament until the final two verses announced the coming of the very man who would prepare the way for this Christ. Who by perfect life, not a single improper thought ever stained his mind. Not a single improper word ever crossed his lips. And not a single sinful deed did he ever commit. The perfect son of God. God in the flesh. Miracle after miracle proving him that he was everything that he proved to be. Announced by Peter in Acts 2 and verse 22. Miracles, wonders, and signs. God proved him to be all that he claimed to be. Endured all the indignities of man that they could heap upon him. A buffeted countenance. A countenance with human spittle running down his cheeks. Scorn and derision moving through his mind. A body beaten until his back was an almost endless stream of bloody, broken flesh. Nails and spikes driving his body to a cross of wood and hanging there on surely the loneliest words of the ages. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? A body sagging on Golgotha's height removed by tender human hands and placed delicately in a new womb where no one had ever laid. The womb of death. The grave of Joseph Arimathea. But thanks be to God, early on Sunday morning, 
the stone is rolled away. One can picture through the eye of faith the Son of God taking the clothes of death in which he lay, removing him from his now living body, reunited with his spirit from the Hadean world, and folded and laid in the tomb. The appearances he made, the commands that were forthcoming, and surely another one of the greatest sights human eyes have ever laid upon, the perhaps slow but sure ascension of Jesus Christ back to the Father, and now sits, even as we speak, on his right hand, ruling and reigning over his spiritual kingdom, the church that Jesus said, I will build the product of the gospel preached and the gospel obeyed. Man's only hope is Jesus Christ crucified, announced in the gospel of Christ, preached on Pentecost of Acts chapter 2. Your president never obeyed the gospel. We encourage you by faith to repent of your sins, confess Christ, be baptized into Christ. Jesus said repentance and remission of sins would be preached in his resurrected name. That occurred on Pentecost of Acts 2. And when those people asked what to do, that's what they were told. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sin. And some 3,000 did and were added to the church. And if you've not done that, you can do it and be added to the church. That Jesus said, I will build the product of the gospel of Christ preached and obeyed. Or if you need the prayers of the church or to confess sin, we hope you'll come right now while we stand and sing. Thank you for the lesson, Mr. Frank, very much.
Let's remember our five o'clock class, our training class at five, and then our at five thirty we'll have our uh, memorization class. That's uh, everyone uh, make an effort to be here for those classes. Um, we're going to sing one more song and then be dismissed in a prayer. Our number one hundred and seventy nine. One seven nine. One step at a time. One step at a time, dear Savior, I cannot take any more. The flesh is so weak and hopeless, I know not what is before. One step at a time, dear Savior, till faith grows stronger in Step at a time, dear Savior, till hope grows stronger in me. One step at a time, dear Savior, oh God, my faltering feet. Keep hold of my hand, dear Savior, journey complete. One step at a time, dear Savior, till faith grows stronger in thee. One step at a time, dear Savior, till hope grows stronger in me. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we're so thankful for this morning, uh, this Lord's Day that we can assemble to encourage one another by our uh, presence and to offer our worship to you and to, um, to sing about you, to adore your name, to magnify thee and to give you the, the honor that is due. Father, we're we're thankful that um, you are the God who you are, a God of love and mercy and, and who is always uh, there for us whenever um, we can pray to you and that you will hear us and that you will help us. Father, we're thankful that we can do all this through Jesus our Savior who has shed his blood for man and has provided atonement for those who will obey the gospel and to put Christ on in baptism. We're thankful for your word that we can study and we can grow in maturity of a seasoned Christian, developing ourselves to be uh, servants in the kingdom 
We pray, Father, that we would do this uh, seriously and with a lot of forethought and and doing what uh, you would have us to do, to be doing these things in spirit and in truth, to uh, be students of your word and rightly dividing it and understanding it, and to uh, follow it in, in our actions, and also sharing it with the friends that we come in contact with, and teaching them and helping them to have the same treasure we have, and we pray, Father, that you would help us all individually, that we would be an encouragement to one another to um, always be diligent to uh, follow your commands with the authority that you have and that we are not to turn to the right or left from it. We pray that we'll be better students of your word, reading and studying. Help us, Father, to be active and to share the gospel. We're thankful for the forgiveness of sins through our Lord Jesus Christ and and we're thankful um, for all the blessings that you give us. Father, we're so thankful that we can meet here together without fear of those outside who would uh, condemn us for doing so or try to stop us. We pray, Father, um, and it appears that it could be soon that they will try to force us to not speak on certain things. We pray that we would not uh, fall to this, that we would still speak all the truth, that we would be courageous and bold as lions, Father. We pray that we would not falter. We pray that we'll stand for you, stand up for truth, respect you and honor you. Dear Father, we're thankful for the forgiveness of sins. And we're thankful for the lesson that we've heard today and the classes that we had today. And we pray that we'll um, grow in our, our individual lives and to be a good influence. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.